Exodus chapter 17. We're going to jump right into it this morning. Is it still morning, evening, afternoon? I don't know what time of the day it is. Still morning. Still morning. All right. Exodus chapter 17. Is there to say amen? Yeah. We're going to begin reading in verse 8. It says, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hands that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy and they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady unto the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nisi. For he said, Because the Lord have sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Let's go to the Lord and pray, then we'll get started. Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity that we have to uh, be here this morning. And God, we thank you for things that we've already heard this morning from your word and, and the breakout session times and even the preaching that I was able to hear this morning. And God, I thank you that your word uh, still speaks to hearts, God, not just to um, other people. But God, I'm thankful that it spoke to my heart this morning, what I got to hear. hear. And God, I pray you'll just use me in these next few moments. God, I pray you'll speak through me in a way that only you can. Be with these young adults. God, I pray you help them to find some things that they can glean from your word and apply to their life that would help them to be better Christians, help them to be more like you. And we'll give you all the praise and all the honor for it. In your name, Jesus, we do pray. Amen. Now, when we look in the Old Testament, we see clearly that the children of Israel, they are God's chosen people. Now, there are many people who wonder, why in the world did God choose the nation of Israel? Uh, was God showing favoritism? Well, we know that that's not true, right? The Bible says that there is no respective person with God. The Bible teaches us that God chose the nation of Israel, one, because he loved them, but two, and one of the main reasons was because they were the least of the nations. So when Israel went out and they won a war, or they won a, won a battle, or when they conquered a city, no one could look at Israel and say, wow, they have a great army. No, they were the least, they were the smallest nations around. The only conclusion that they could have is that they had a great God. You know, it's something like God that delights in using small things. You know, we sing a song often that says, little is much when God is in it. So God was using Israel as a platform to shine his light into a lost and dying world. Now, oftentimes we forget that when Israel initially came into Egypt, they came into Egypt on good terms. When they came into Egypt, if you remember the story correctly, Joseph, he found favor with the king. And because Joseph found favor with the king, he was able to bring all of his brethren over who were the children of Israel. They came over into Egypt on good terms. But in Exodus chapter one and verse number eight, the Bible says that there arose a new king, which knew not Joseph. Now, this was a major transition in the history of the children of Israel. They went from being welcome into the land to being slaves of the land. They, they went from being welcome into the land to being tortured and ridiculed and beaten. And they were forced to build Pharaoh's treasured cities. But the Bible says that the more that they afflicted them, the more they grew. You know, isn't it amazing how you can lose your favor with the man, but you can still maintain your favor with God? And the one thing we have to learn very early on in our life is that having favor with God is far more important than having favor with the man. Look, they lost their favor with the king of the land, but they maintained their favor with the king of kings. So the Bible says the more that they afflicted, the more they grew. Now they're slaves in the land of Egypt. They're being tortured. They're being beaten. They're being forced to build Pharaoh's treasured cities. 
And God is going to raise up a man that we know by the name of Moses to deliver the nation of Israel out of that bondage. Now, we know that Moses, he initially refused God's calling on his life. And it's there in the wilderness where Moses has that burning bush experience. How many remember that story? Moses in the wilderness, he sees a bush that is burning, but the bush is not burnt. Look, that would be equivalent to me taking a sheet of paper this morning and lighting it on fire and the paper never being consumed. <laughs> Moses says, I must turn aside and behold this sight and behold this bush. So Moses turns aside. He goes over towards that bush and get this now. The bush is burning and it's not burnt. But on top of that, the bush starts talking. <laughs> and look, the bush doesn't just say, hey, guy, excuse me, sir. And say, hey, man, the bush says Moses. <laughs> so hold on, wait a minute. The bush is burning. It's not burnt. The bush is talking to me. And somehow this bush knows my name. Look, let me just say you, Moses is not hallucinating in the desert. All right. We know that it is God that is speaking to Moses from the bush. God chose Moses. He said, I have seen the affliction of my people. He said, I've heard their cries. And he says, I know their sorrow and I am come down to deliver them out. Look, aren't you glad that we serve a living God? Look, aren't you glad that we serve an active God? Look, our God that we serve today, he's not dead. The Bible says that God, he saw, he knew, he heard, and he was coming down to do something about what he saw, knew and heard. I'm glad that I serve a God that sees. I'm glad that I serve a God that knows. And I'm glad that I serve a God that hears. So Moses, he initially refuses God's calling on his life. And God has to send Moses through a series of events that would cause Moses to go and do exactly what God told him to do. Remember the story where he took the rod and threw it down and turned into a serpent? And he did something that I would never do. He picked the snake up and turned it back into a rod. <laughs> Moses takes his hand, puts it into his bosom, brings it out as leprosy, puts it back in, brings it out as healed. God is showing Moses. Moses is not anything that you're going to do, but rather what I'm going to do through you. Moses gives in. He says, I'll go to Pharaoh and I'll tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Now, get this. God says, OK, you're now going to go. But God says this. He's not going to listen to you. <laughs> now, if you know the story. God, Moses already told God, God, I don't want to go because they're not going to listen to me. God put him through the serpent. God put him through the leprosy, all of the series of the burning bush. And God says, OK, good. I'm glad you're going. By the way, he's not going to listen. <laughs> Imagine Moses is like, God, this is what I said in the first place. I told you already he wasn't going to listen. <laughs> so. God lets him know why he's not going to listen. He says he's not going to listen because I'm going to harden his heart. Look, now, one thing we got to understand about this is that God did not just want to deliver Israel out of bondage. On a sneaky level, all right, God's not trying to sneak them out the back door of Egypt. All right. Look, God wanted to deliver them out, as the Bible says, with a high hand. Look, God wanted everyone in the land of Egypt to know that he was the one true God. So God hardened Pharaoh's heart so he could send those plagues to Egypt. And if you ever study those plagues, one thing that's very interesting to me is that the plagues that he sent to Egypt was all a destruction of a God that they worship. So they worship the God of the Nile. God says, OK, I'm going to turn your water into blood. They, they, they worship the, 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 the fly God. God says, OK, here comes the flies. They worship the cattle God, the, God, the sacred bull God. Right. God says, OK, well, here comes the cattle disease. They, they, they held the firstborn to the highest theme where God says, okay, here comes the death angel. Look, it, it got, it got really bad in the nation of Egypt. It got so bad that the Bible tells us that there was not one household that did not have a death in the family. It got bad. It got so bad that Pharaoh himself looked at the children of Israel and said, go and serve the Lord. Look, they had false gods in the place of where the one true God should be. Listen, our God does not share his place with anyone or anything. 
And you got to be very careful of what you put in the place of God because you're now putting that in opposition to God and Jehovah God shares his place with no one. So he is letting Israel know I'm the one true God, but at the same time he's letting Egypt know your gods are false. Now we don't live in a country now where people are bowing down and, and worshiping idols and worshiping false gods on a routine basis. Now I know there are some people who do, all right? But I'm talking about where we're bowing down and worshiping enemy. We don't see that often in this country. But look now, a, a God in your life, a false God in your life, it can be a good thing that has become a bad thing because it took the place of the best thing. It can be a good thing that has become a bad thing because it took the place of a best thing. Look, nothing deserves to be in the place in your life where God deserves to be. He should have the preeminence in all of our lives. So God is now delivered Israel out of Egypt. They're wandering in the wilderness and God is taking care of them every step of the way. From the manna to the quail to the uh, cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. Every step of the way, God is taking care of his children. And we get to Exodus chapter 17. And in Exodus chapter 17, we have the scene of a battlefield. Amalek has come and has launched a, an attack on the nation of Israel. And the Bible says that God, that Moses tells Joshua to choose out some men, go down into the valley and fight. And while they're down in the valley and fight, Moses says, I'm going to go up to the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Now, as we read, the Bible says, as Moses held up his hands, Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hands, Amalek prevailed. When the rod is lifted up high, Israel is winning the battle. But when the rod is lowered, Amalek is winning the battle. Look, here, here's the problem we ran into in this chapter. Moses was just a man. And as he's holding the rod of God up high, his arms get tired, his hands get heavy, as the Bible says, and the rod begins to lower. Look, nothing changed in his heart, nothing changed in his zeal, nothing changed in his vigor. Moses was just a man, and he was getting weary, and he was getting tired, and the rod was lowering. And as the rod was lowering, men in Israel were dying. But I'm glad that when we read this text that the Bible shows us that Moses, he didn't go up to the top of the hill by himself. Moses went up to that hill with two men by the name of Aaron and Hur. And I love what these men did. These men stood beside Moses, got a stone for him to sit on, and literally held up his hands, the Bible said, until the going down of the sun. And when I read over this text, I can't help but think of how much this is needed in every local New Testament church. We need some people, some young adults, who will come alongside the work of God. And look now, just add some support. And support the work of God. See, as you're transitioning from teenagers to young adults, and I know some of you may be a little bit older than 18 or 19, right? But there's a transition that's taking place in ministry. And we're starting a young adults ministry at our church next month. And one thing that I've been telling our church family and telling some of the young adults is that the young adults ministry is not just a ministry that is to you. It's a ministry that's for you. Look, it's not a ministry where everyone is serving you. It's a ministry that you can get in and now you can serve. Look, it is a ministry where you can come alongside the local New Testament church and add some support and add some help. Now, when we look into the gospel records in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus tells Peter, he says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And he says this, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, Jesus is not saying that he is building the church upon Peter, right? If you read that chapter in its context, this is how it starts. 
Peter, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? He says, well, some say Elias, some say Jeremiah, some say John the Baptist. And he stops and says, well, who do you say that I am? He says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. You got it right, Peter. He says, you're Peter, but upon this rock, speaking of himself, not Peter, he says, I will build my church. Look, Peter's name literally means pebble or little stone. <laughs> Peter, I'm not going to build my church on you. I need my church to have some, a little stronger foundation than that. He says, I'm going to build it upon myself, the rock of ages. Jesus said earlier in Matthew that a wise man, he builds his house upon what? The rock. So Jesus, he is the chief cornerstone. He is the founder in the foundation of the local New Testament church. He says, Peter, I'm building my church, not upon you, but upon me. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And he says this, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, let's think about that for a moment. Can Jesus lie? Talk to me. Did Jesus lie? No. Well, if Jesus did not lie and he said that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church, why are so many churches closing? If Jesus said that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church, then why are so many churches dying? If Jesus said that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church, then why are the doors of churches are open, but the moment you get in it, it's a dead church? Did Jesus lie to us? No. Listen to me very closely this morning. A church does not die from Satan's demise. A church dies from self-destruction. I'm going to say it again. A church does not die from Satan's demise. A church dies from self-destruction. Look, a church cannot die from the outside in, but a church can die from the inside out. A church does not explode a church implodes. This is what I'm saying. A church begins to die when individuals within that local New Testament church say this. I'm no longer supporting. I'm no longer helping. I'm no longer involved. I'm no longer giving. I'm no longer serving. I, look, I'm going to go and do my own thing. I'm done with it. Look, when that starts to get into the body of a local New Testament church, that church is on the verge of dying. It is imploding. Now that Satan did not come and defeat it. They gave up. So what I want to talk about for the next few moments is how can we, how can you as young adults be supporters of the work of God in this ministry? So it's not just a ministry that is to you, but it's a ministry that is for you where you can be involved and serve yourself. First of all, we're going to see, according to this text, that there's a hindrance in the congregation. There is a hindrance in the congregation. Like, isn't it amazing how quickly we forget God? Now, look, God has already given them manna. God has already led them through the wilderness. God has already turned the bitter water sweet. God has already led them with the, with the cloud by day. The Bible even tells us that their shoes did not grow old. We, we, we've seen how God is taking care of them firsthand. But now they are angry in this chapter because they're thirsty. <laughs> Out of all the big things that they have accomplished, all the big things that they've overcome, they're now angry at God because they're thirsty. Look down at verse number one of chapter 17. And all the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin. After their journeys, according to the commandment of the Lord, and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? Notice how they're falsely evaluating. Now let me ask you a few questions right here. 
who led the nation of Israel out of Egypt? Was it God or was it Moses? It was God. Who gave the nation of Israel manna and quail? Was it God or was it Moses? It was God. Who turned the bitter water sweet? Was it God or was it Moses? It was God. Now, when we get to this chapter, they are angry. Look now, not just at God, they're angry at Moses. They're falsely evaluating. Look, you will never find a church that does not have problems. You hear me? If you ever find a church that has no problems, don't join it because you're going to be the first problem. You won't find a church. Look, whether you're at church, whether you're at work, wherever you go, there are going to be problems. You know why? Because they're going to be people. And where a lot of people get together, problems come. Look, but what the question is, how do we handle the problems when they come? Listen to me. Never evaluate a problem this way until you first evaluate and first evaluate it this way. Look, never address a problem with a person until you first address that problem with God. Look, they're really not angry at Moses. They're really angry at God. But they're taking it out on Moses because they can't get to him. Remember the story of, of, of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter four? Cain brings an offering to God. It's rejected. Abel brings an offering to God. It's accepted. Cain gets angry and goes out and kills his brother Abel. Wait a minute. Who rejected the offering? Was it Abel or was it God? God rejected it. But who does he take it out on? He takes it out on Abel. Look, you got to be very careful of how you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ. You may be telling how you would treat God if you could get to him. The children of Israel, they're angry. They're really not angry at Moses. They're really angry at God. They're falsely evaluating. Not only are they falsely evaluating, they're foolishly exaggerating. Look, false evaluation always leads to foolish exaggeration. Let me just read to you what these people said. Verse number three. And the people thirsted there for water. And the people murmured against Moses and said, wherefore is this that thou hast brought us out of Egypt? Remember, who brought them out? Was it Moses or was it God? False evaluation. Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt? Look at this now. To kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst. Well, that escalated quickly, didn't it? It, it, went, it went from saying, Moses, we are thirsty. To, man, you're trying to kill us. And look, it didn't stop there. Man, you're trying to kill my kids. It went a step further. Man, you're even trying to kill the cows. How, how in the world did we get here? False evaluation always leads to foolish exaggeration. I, I tell I tell my staff this all the time, and I don't know where I got it from, but I tell them this all the time. Be the type of person that can take a big problem and make it small and not be the person that takes a small problem and make it big. Be the type of person that can take a big problem and make it small and not a small problem that make it big. Sometimes you got to take your emotions out of things. So you're not overly exaggerating on some of the small. How in the world did we go from being thirsty to trying to kill a cow? <laughs> how, how did we get here? False evaluation. And they took something that was so small and boom. Look now, when we're serving in the local New Testament church together, there are going to be problems. But ask God to help you be the type of person that can minimize the problem and not maximize it. 
you know, you're right now, I, I know as young adults, you're in your career, some of you are on leadership positions at work, and you're, you're getting new ideas, you're learning new things, and there are times where you want to come into the church and you want to implement these things. You want to, hey, I see this, and I see this, and I see this. Look, everything can't be my way. And everything, it can't be your way. So when something does not go the way you want it, be sure that you're not over-exaggerating things. Uh, let me let me give you an example. You, I'm talking about you coming to church, and you look around and say, oh my goodness. I'm looking in the sanctuary, and that light bulb been out for three days. That that light, look, I pay my tithes, I give my offering, I give, I know this church got enough money to buy a light bulb. Where's all the money going? Look at the pastor, he got a new car, but we can't buy a light bulb. Whoa! <laughs> Pump your brakes, calm down a little bit. How do we go from a light bulb to the pastor stealing money, right? <laughs> that escalated quickly, right? Look, be the type of person that is not taking small things and making them bigger, but allow God to allow you to take some big things and make them small. That's what leadership truly is. They're falsely evaluating. They're foolishly exaggerating. They're furious with their elder. Look at verse number verse number four. We're going to see the difference between a carnal person and a spiritual person. The Bible says, I wonder if they can hear me like I can hear them. You think they can? I was wondering that when I was sitting there. I wonder, can they hear me as well? I'm going to start competing. I'm going to get loud. I'm going to get louder than him and just say, no, give me no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, open the door. <laughs> yeah, give me a broomstick. Get that table. <laughs> Are you living in an apartment? They won't be quiet like, hey, we're down here having church, you know? <laughs> but verse four, look at the difference between, he said bad memories. <laughs> look at the difference between a spiritual person and a carnal person. When the people got angry, who did they go to? Went to Moses. Watch what Moses does. And Moses cried unto the Lord. The people got a problem and they went straight to a man. Moses got a problem. He went straight to God. He says, and Moses cried unto the Lord saying, what shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. You see what happens when you foolishly exaggerate? Look, they said, they said, okay, Moses, you're going to try to kill us, huh? You're going to try to kill the cows? You're going to try to kill the kids? Okay, Moses, guess what? We're going to kill you first. They said, said, we're going to beat you to it. They're furious with their elder. There's a hindrance in the congregation. There's a highlight in their calamity. Look, aren't you glad that when there's a bunch of nonsense going on, that doesn't mean God stopped working? God can still work even through the mess. You're going to see that they were still fervent. Look at verse number five. And the Lord said unto Moses, I love these two words. Go on before the people and take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod, roll with thy smote as thy river, take in thine hand and go. So Moses goes to God and says, God, what shall I do unto this people? The first thing that God tells Moses is this. Go on. Go on. Look, this is what he's saying. Moses, you still be fervent. Now, I want you to hear me very clearly on this. All right. We want everyone to be involved in the work of God. We want everyone to be involved in ministry. We want everyone to serve. But look now, the work is too great for us to stop when you stop. Look, Moses says, God, these people are ready to stone me. God, what do you want me to do? Moses, go on. <laughs> Keep, go, go on and do what you're going to do before. Look, we, we, some people believe that the work of God is contingent upon them. <laughs> Say, oh, I'm going to be out this Sunday. I don't know what the choir is going to do without me. They're going to sing. You say, well, 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 they no, no one, no one. And look, I'm not going so winning. I don't know what they're going to do when I don't show up and go so winning. They're going to go so winning. 
So, oh, I don't know what they're going to do. I ain't going to come to the Sunday school class. What are they going to do if I don't come to Sunday school class? Uh, We're going to have Sunday school. Now, look, don't get me wrong now. We want you here. We want you involved. We want you serving. We want you plugged in. But the work of God is bigger than me. And if I ever decide that I'm not going to be a part of the work of God, guess what happens to the work of God? It's going to go on. One thing that I have learned very early on in my life is that I benefit from the work of God more than the work of God benefits from me. I benefit from the work of God more than the work of God benefits from me. So let's not let's let's just stay plugged in so we can be fully involved. But if we ever get out, the work of God is so great that it still has to go on. God says, Moses, I want you to still be fervent. Look at this. He says, some follow. Verse number five. He says, go on before the people. Look at this. And take with thee of the elders of Israel. Look, God never needed a big group to do a big work. When you read throughout the word of God, you see God using little and making much of it. Feeding 5,000 people, not counting the women and their children with five loads, two pieces of fish. He delights in that. Taking, taking the smallest nation and using them to conquer. Taking a little boy and using him to kill a giant. Taking an orphan girl, now she's a queen, to help, help deliver uh, the children of Israel from bondage. Look, so many great things where God takes little and make. God never needed a big group to do a great work. You know why? Because he's a great God. As Corinthians says, so no flesh can glory in his presence. No one's going to get credit and say, oh, I was so good and that's why we had this and I was so great and that's why we. No, it all was accomplished because of how great he was. God says, Moses, take those few people. I can do a great work with that small group right there. They were still fervent. We had some that followed. He had the same faith. He says, and thy rod. That rod has been following Moses since Exodus chapter four. Remember that rod? Throw it down. Pick it up. Remember that rod? Stretch it out before the, the Red Sea is parted. Remember that rod? Smite the rock. Water comes out. He has the same rod. Look now, there are some people, when people stop following, they get nervous and start changing everything. My dad used to say all the time, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> look, it, it, look, does the Bible still work? Does the word of God still have power? If souls are still being saved, lives are still being changed. If people stop following, there are some things that we can't change on because truth does not change. He says, God, take the same rod you've been using. Use that. You know why? Because it still works. At the same faith, there were some that followed. They were still fervent. But then there's a sad fact. Here's the sad fact. Look down at verse number six. He says, but behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders. Now, let me just pause right here for a second and just say this. Moses is a much better man than me. I, I, must, I might have a strange sense of humor, but y'all hear what God just said? God said, Moses, go and smite the rock so water can come out so the people can drink. Uh, excuse me, God, what people? <laughs> the people that's trying to stone me. <laughs> the people that's trying to kill me. Look, look, I'm, let me just give you some insight on the type of guy that I am. If, you, if I know you're trying to kill me, guess what you're not getting? You ain't getting no water. You're really about to die of thirst. We're going to wait this thing out. <laughs> you're going to die of thirst today. <laughs> so God says, Moses, smite the rock so the water can come out so the people can drink. Now, look, look, look now. This is what a carnal person says. A carnal person says, well, if I'm going to get the water, what's the point of me following? If I'm, if I'm going to benefit from it, whether I'm there or not, why do I have to go there? Right. 
Look, there are some things that you will benefit from just from being close to the work of God, even if you are not involved. Let me give an example. You can come into church and say, wow, we have a we have a visitor this morning. Praise the Lord for the visitor. And that gives you some excitement, right? You got some water. But there's another person that says, I invited that person. It's different. Look, everyone got a drink, but only a handful knows where the water came from. Someone says, oh, 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 wow, we had a we had a young adults conference. We had a youth conference. And someone's saying, I helped organize that. I was involved in that. Say, oh, wow, we we support missions and we give to missions. And someone says, no, I gave personally to that. It's a different look. It's a difference from getting the water and then knowing where the water comes from. Look, stay so close to the work of God that you can see how God is working and you can see what God is doing and not just see the fruits of it. It it does something to your faith. It increases your faith where you're saying God did this. He can do it again. They were serving. They were still fervent. They were some that followed had the same faith. And there was a sad fact. He only did so. The Bible says in the sight of the elders, that small group that followed. So there's a hindrance in the congregation. There's a highlight in their calamity. But then lastly, there's a heated confrontation. There's a heated confrontation. Look, I I could never understand why Christian people spend so much time fighting each other. Look, you know why we can't spend any time fighting each other? Because there's a real enemy. <laughs> it, it, look, it's no coincidence that the enemy comes right here. When things are going well, no enemy. Man is there, quail is there, fire by day, cloud by night. Oh, all these things. Oh, no, no enemy. But the moment they start fighting amongst themselves, boom, enemy comes. Look, we have no time to fight amongst ourselves because we have a real enemy. And look now, if we ever get to the point to where we're fighting amongst ourselves, there's no victory. A fight amongst Christians, no one wins. You say, oh, well, I sure told him. You still didn't win nothing. <laughs> Would you want a candy bar because you won an argument? Right? No. If we're fighting amongst ourselves, there's no victory there. So there's a, a heated confrontation. But then we start seeing some orders that he starts to get. Look at verse number nine. And Moses said unto Joshua, choose us out men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. This order was a very specific order. God says, Moses, I want you to choose out some men. And he chose, look, it was very specific. He didn't say, Moses, go get some people. <laughs> no, he said, Moses, choose out men. Can you imagine if the enemy was coming and all the ladies ran and got their pink bedazzled swords? Okay, Moses, we ready to fight. We're going to battle. No, no. Moses said, Joshua, I want you to choose out men. Now, I was raised by a single mother. I've had ladies that were my teachers and Sunday school teachers. I'm thankful for the role that women play that have played in my life. But I can say this clearly with no hesitation. If young men do not take their rightful place in the work of God, the local New Testament church will not be what God intended for it to be. It won't be. We, we need some young men that learn how to serve in the work of God. Some young men that learn how to lead into the work of God in the local New Testament church. May God help us to have young men who take their rightful place in the work of God. It was a very specific order. Not only that, it was kind of suspect. Now, this might be my strange sense of humor again. But he says this, Joshua, choose out some men, go out and fight with Amalek. Then he says this, and tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Excuse me. Um, excuse me, brother Moses. Uh, 
If I'm going to be down here in the valley fighting, I would sure appreciate it if you would get up there today. You around here talking about you're going to go tomorrow. <laughs> I need you to get up there and start praying today. right? Look, can I be honest with you? There are some things when we're working together and serving together that's going to take place that we don't understand. But a lack of understanding does not neglect our responsibility to be involved. Can I be honest with you for a moment? Look, I'm not a pastor. All right. I'm, I'm not a pastor. I serve in a local New Testament church just like you. I look at my people say people always say, what are you? I'm like, I'm a preacher and I'm a church member. I'm a layman. All right. I serve where the opportunity is to serve. Let me be honest with you. Sometimes my pastor gets up and he says something. I say, how are we going to do that? He says, I said, when are we going to do that? He is standing and said, well, we need to plant 10 churches. I said, we only got five feet, one, two, three. <laughs> he said, how are we going to do that? There are some things that I hear and it does not make sense to me. But look now, me not fully understanding does not neglect my responsibility to be involved. It's my job to come along and support and be a part where I can. They were ordered. They were obedient. Then they start getting some obstacles. Verse number 11. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hands that Israel prevailed and when he let down his hands. Amalek prevailed. I love how the chapter ends when he starts getting some help. Verse number 12. But Moses hands were heavy and they took a stone and put it under him. Look, isn't it amazing how the chapter shifts? How did it? How did it? How did it start? Moses says, God, these people be almost ready to stone me. How, how is it ending? They're pulling over a stone. For Moses to sit on. You know, one thing I found to be true, even in my own life, it takes the same amount of energy to help someone as it does to hurt someone. The same thing that they were going to use to kill him, they're now using the exact same thing to help him. Moses, sit down on this stone. He starts getting some help from his comrades and it led to the winning of the battle. As his hands were up, Israel prevailed. When it led to the winning of the battle, it took some cooperation. Verse number 12. Well, Moses' hands were heavy and they took a stone and put it under him. And get this now. And he, and he set their own. And Aaron and her stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. Look, if we're going to serve together, if this young adult group, if you're going to serve together, it's going to take some cooperation. Look, everyone can't do the same thing. But everyone can do something. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take some cooperation. Can you imagine these two guys, Aaron and her? He said, man, man why, are you, why are you getting on the right side? We grew up together since we were kids. We played ball together. You know I'm right-handed, and you're going to take my strong side. <laughs> and look, it's men down there dying while they're up there arguing. Now, we may laugh and chuckle at that a little bit, but look now. As we, the longer it takes for us to cooperate, let me tell you, there are men, women, and boys and girls that are literally dying and going to hell. And we're spending time bickering and fighting and arguing over nonsense stuff. If we're going to really see the work of God go forward, if you're really going to be a supporter in the work of God, we have to learn how to cooperate and work together. It took cooperation. It takes consistency. The Bible says, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Look, it's not difficult to find somebody to help you for a moment, but it's very difficult to find somebody that can help you consistently. Somebody that can be faithful. Somebody can be there for you Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. They can be there on the activities. They can be there when it's so winning. They can be there when we're doing something as a group. It's hard to find that person that's going to be consistent. If you're going to be a supporter of the work of God, you have to be faithful. You have to be consistent. It led to the winning of the battle, but then the writing in the books. The writing in the books. Look at this. 
The whole time, God is in heaven and he's watching. God is in heaven and he's watching and he's looking down and it's almost like God just says, man, I like this. Aaron and her, they're helping, they're, they're supporting. Say, brother, why in the world should I support the work of God? You know why? God likes it. It, it was praised by God. Look, he says, write it down in the book. I think they did. <laughs> he says, write it in the book. It was praised by God. And then he says this, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. Not only was it praised by God, but it was preparation for the next generation. He says, write in the book, and he says, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. Look now, one day Joshua, he'll be out front, and he'll be the one that's leading. Joshua, as a young man, needs to see that there's somebody before him that was supporting. Rehearse it in his ears. Tell him this story over and over and over again. Look, you're going to have some, probably every year just about, you're going to have some teenager that just graduated high school coming over into the young adults class. When they come over into this class, one thing it would help them to see is a group that's in their generation that's already serving. It's helping them. They're watching. I tell you, kids are some of the nosiest people in the world. I mean, they watch and notice every single thing and listen to every single thing. I mean, it's dangerous. I got a three-year-old. I said, oh, I got to watch what I say. She go home and tell. She go to school. Tell all my business. My daddy's at my son in the world. <laughs> they're listening and they're watching. May God help us to when they look at us, they see us as supporting the work of God. I tell you this story. I was preaching in um in Virginia one time, and I was preaching there a Sunday through a Wednesday. All right, preaching Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And when I travel multiple days, that's four days probably preaching. Let's see. Six times, right? When I travel like that, I don't pack six suits, all right? That's just me. I don't pack six suits. I, I might pack three suits and switch up some shirts and ties with it, all right? Now, I go to church one night, and there's a little boy that's there, and his mom comes up to me, and she says, she says, Brother Ed, the strangest thing happened the other day. I said, what happened? And we're probably, I think it was like a Wednesday or something like that. I said, what happened? She said, uh. Well, my my son got up and he wanted to wear the same clothes to school that he wore the day before. I said, yeah, that is pretty strange. <laughs> and she asked him, well, why do you want to say uh, wear the same clothes? You know what this boy said? Brother Ed wore the same suit on Tuesday that he wore on, on Sunday. <laughs> now, let me just say it was just the suit. Everything else was fresh. All right. Let me just <laughs> well, y'all leave here thinking I'm nasty. I had different clothes on and that night I put the suit. I shouldn't have to explain all that to you, all right? <laughs> but look, this boy that I never even talked to, I never even shook his hand. When I came into church on a Tuesday, he realized that's the same suit he had on on Sunday. Little boy. These kids are watching. Look, when they're watching around your church, let them see those young adults, they're serving. They're supporting they're active. They're engaged. So when they come into this group, they have a great example of how to serve. It's preparation for the next generation. May God help us as believers, not just young adults, but as believers to learn how to serve and support in the work of God. A church does not die from the outside in. A church dies from the inside out. A church dies from self-destruction. May, may God help us to help our ministries to continue to go forward by allowing God to work through us 
to simply be supporters of his work.